morning. Last week, uh, we took a little detour. We talked about um, Isaiah 58, if you remember that, because we had just come back from uh, some of us from our missions trip to helping the poor and homeless in New York. And so we talked about Isaiah 58 and what that looks like. How, um, you know, we're all called to, to, um, to live this life together and, and not, um, not to, to cause divisions among the church or to create um, classism or give in to things like racism and, and all that, you know, especially in the church. And um, Isaiah 58 was a great, um, a great call, a call back to that and, uh, you know, to recognize that we're called to be unified as a church. And so this morning's message actually, in some ways, picks up on that. So it's a good segue from last week, but um, Acts chapter 11 is where we are, and we're in the first 18 verses. And, uh, and so I've split this chapter into two, so the second half we'll do next week, but we're just doing the first 18 verses, and we're going to read it in just a minute, and you're going to see that it's very familiar, because basically what this passage of Scripture is for today it's the Apostle Peter recounting what happened in Acts chapter 10. Remember the story of Peter and Cornelius? Remember how God was connecting the dots? How we talked about he was orchestrating that. And he gave them both a vision. And uh, he, he told Cornelius that he should send for Peter to, to come and share truth with him. So he sent his, his friends to go get Peter. Remember, and then at the same time, Peter was having a vision sent by the angel, by the Lord, right? And it was that crazy vision of the sheet with the animals on it. And God said, go ahead and eat. And Peter was like, no way, there's unclean animals. And God was teaching him a lesson. And he was teaching him very clearly that now, through Jesus Christ, there was no clean and unclean. And it meant very simply that the gospel... The good news about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, could now go beyond Jerusalem, but also to the Gentiles, to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that was radical. I mean, that was a game changer in the history of the church early on. We're going to see a little bit more of that this morning. But basically what Peter does in this chapter is he recounts the story. So you remember... We said who wrote the book of Acts was Luke, okay? And so Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote Acts. And so Luke found it important enough to retell the story, to summarize that same story of Peter and Cornelius to make sure that we got the whole point. And it was so significant to the early church, and you're going to see why. You know how um, when you watch your favorite show on TV... um, you know, there's a few that, that my family and I, and Claudia and I, are like to watch these days. And, you know, you go through seasons, right? And I guess a side note, but I, I get kind of annoyed now, the way that they make the shows. I mean, they're done so well, and there's such a production quality and cost to it that they'll have like eight or nine episodes, and then it takes like another year before it comes out. And it's just like, I can't wait another year for that. But good thing we got like Netflix, and there's other shows we can watch in the meantime. That's okay. But you know how like you're watching your favorite show, and then... What happens is, what do they show like right before the episode starts? They'll say like, previously on, you know, on whatever, fill in your favorite show. Previously on, Blue Bloods. Previously on, whatever it is, right? Little House on the Prairie. No, they don't do that for that. Although we watch it, they, don't, they didn't do that back then. 
But it's good because it's kind of like, you know, the guy says previously on, and then it shows you a recap, right? So especially if you missed the last episode, you have a gist of what's going on so you can enter into the story again. So that's exactly what Luke does in the first 18 verses of Acts 11. Is he's like he's saying previously, previously on the journey of the church in Acts, here's what happened. So then Peter picks up the context and, uh, and he starts to recap the story. And so you can turn to it. It'll be up on the screen for you as well. But, you know, having a recap of a story, um, it's really important, especially if Luke, uh, through, of course, the inspiration of God, through the Holy Spirit, decided it was important to retell this story. It's almost like saying you can't miss the importance of this. So I'm going to summarize it for you so that you don't miss it, so that you get it, right? So the first thing we need to remember is that context is important. I mentioned that before. Do you ever walk in late to a movie? I mean, if you walk in 10 minutes late, you're going to miss some of the context, right? You're going to be like, why is that guy shooting all those people? It's only 10 minutes in. Like, what happened? So you miss the context at the beginning of the story. So it's important that we have context to what is about to happen next, right? And so the story of Peter and Cornelius and the gospel now going to the Gentiles, remember that? The whole household of Cornelius became believers, that we need to have context. The same thing should happen when we share the story. Because you're going to see as we read through this, it's Peter sharing the story. When you share your story with God about your faith, your testimony, give it some context, right? Tell about what your life was like. How is it that you were led to know Jesus Christ and who was it that brought you there? Give some richness and context to the story. It's so important. And so that's what Luke is doing here. And uh, so so I'm going to read it. And it's basically what you can picture is Peter is coming back from staying with Cornelius. You remember how it, it ended with how Peter went and he obeyed the vision. He went, he shared the gospel, and he wasn't even supposed to be eating or staying with the Gentiles, the uncircumcised. But he recognized from the vision, God was saying, it's all good, because the gospel is now going to the Gentiles too. And he did that. And then it said, at the very end of the last passage, the end of chapter 10, it says, And they said, stay, stay for a while. So Peter stayed. Why? So he could kind of elaborate on what just happened. You know? You ever lead somebody to the Lord and share with them your story and share with them Christ and they say, I believe, and they make a profession of faith and then it's kind of like, you don't say, okay, bye. It's like, now what? Right? And so you need to learn what is this faith all about and who truly is God and the Holy Spirit's in me. What does that mean? And so Peter stayed a few days to share the truth about that and start to unpack it for them so they begin that whole process of discipleship. And so Peter has now come back to the church, all right? He comes back and he needs to tell the church what just happened. Think about it. They had kind of heard rumors, but he's now got to come back and tell them, look, we thought the Messiah was just for us, the good news, the kingdom coming for the Gentiles too. Peter was probably wondering like on his travels back, what's, how's this going to go over? What's this going to look like? And so he comes in and you can tell he's probably all excited and he's going to be like, so there I was. And there was a sheet with all these animals on it. And they're going to be like, what? You know. So he's already, but 
what happens is there's some people there waiting, waiting to greet him. And it wasn't what he thought. So look at what it says. In Acts chapter 11, 1 to 18, it says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. See, the word was spreading. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party or the group of of those who believed in the circumcision, they criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. And now he tells the story. So I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision. Something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me, and looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and can you picture as he's telling it, he's probably thinking like, they have no idea what I'm talking like, how is this happening, right? So I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord. For nothing uncommon or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again to heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction." These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So I began to speak. The Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John John baptized with water but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. No kidding, right? And they glorified God, saying, Then, to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So Peter was a great storyteller. Very convincing. Because these skeptical men, they heard him recount the story and the passion that he had. And at first they couldn't believe it. But then they said, all right, to the Gentiles, the gospel goes. But you know, it wasn't as easy as that. Because there was such a division at the time. Let's, let's just remember, again, according to context, you remember, of course, we forget this this point, but the vast majority of the early church of the Christians were Jews. They were Jews who were now believers in the Messiah Jesus, right? So they were all Jews. They had grown up as Jews, or maybe they were Jewish proselytes. And so they had been circumcised. So there was a group of very conservative uh, Messianic Jews, Jews who now believe in Christ as the Messiah, And there was a group of very conservative ones who said, you know what? In order to become a Christ follower, if you're a Gentile, you got to become a Jew first, get circumcised, become like a full Jew, then you can become a Christian. So there was a group of them. So that's who Peter met on the way. And that's who he had to convince. 
Because they were saying, that is not our tradition. This is not the way it works. You know, we shouldn't even be socializing with the non-circumcised, the Gentiles. Those who are not part of us. You went into their house, he said, and ate with them. That's significant too. Do you know that they were more concerned that he ate a meal with them than he actually entered the house and stayed with them for a few days? Because eating a meal together, especially in the Jewish culture, was significant of intimacy. It was like one of the most intimate things you could do is sit down and share a meal with somebody. So he said, yeah, you went into the house, that's bad enough, but you ate a meal with them. Do you know what you just did? And so Peter said, yeah, you don't understand. And he began to tell them the story. He had to tell them all that happened. He had to tell them all that happened. Did you ever notice how, like, one of the most common plot lines in, uh, in, in our favorite TV shows, especially the situation comedies, is there's always a misunderstanding or a miscommunication, right? Somebody doesn't get to tell the whole story, or they don't tell the whole truth, and then somebody else misinterprets what's going on, right? And then that's kind of like the, the humor in it all until the end when the truth comes out, oh, that's what you meant, right? It's like every Honeymooners episode, if you ever watched it, right? It's exactly what happens. You know, so Peter needed to tell the whole story, and he did. But he really focused on his vision of the animals and what it meant to them. Because he finally got it. But he needed to now share with these Jewish leaders that there is now a worldwide vision for the gospel, right? And didn't Jesus say, I want you to, to be my disciples, I want you to, to be the ones who go in Jerusalem first, then Judea and Samaria, a little bit further out where there's Gentiles, and then to the ends of the earth. And so this is what was happening. You know, our whole, our whole series on Acts is called um, Acts, Church on a Mission, right? Or the unstoppable mission of the church. You can see that. The church is on the move because God is on the move. That's the same thing for us today. We need to be a church, Trinity, that is on the move because God is on the move, right? If you've ever seen that, that, uh, that Christmas movie, Polar Express, there's a great scene where the Polar Express, the train going up to the North Pole, is making its way, and it stops for the kids, and there's one little shy kid, and he just doesn't want to get on. And the conductor is just like, well, we're moving on whether you get on or not, so now's your chance, right? God is on the move. He is doing His thing. And so He is calling us to follow His lead through the Holy Spirit within us as we stay in tune with Him to see what it is He's doing and to get on board with what God is already designing to do. And see, we see at the beginning of this why this is such a momentous occasion is because God is saying, now it is time that the good news of Jesus moved beyond Jerusalem, came to the Jews first, but now also to the Gentile. And so the early church needed some convincing. And that's exactly what God did through His apostle, His follower Peter. So now there is this worldwide vision. He basically, God turned the Jewish believers upside down. He turned their whole vision of what was supposed to happen upside down. By now, it's been many months, you've probably noticed our missions map out in the hallway. It's a little different than most maps, right? If you have never noticed it, take a look at it on your way out. But um, 
it's got a different perspective on the world. And why is it? Because God doesn't see the world the way we do. God's not linear. He doesn't even see time. He's not bound by time. It's important we remember that. So God doesn't see the world and His people in it the way that we do. But we need to have that same vision that God does. How do we get to see the world and God's people through His eyes? We need to stay in His Word, right? We need to stay connected with Him and praying and understanding who He is growing growing in our understanding of who God is. So we recognize that there is a worldwide vision for the Gospel now. What does it say in the most famous of all verses in John 3.16? For God so loved, what? The world. That He gave His only Son that whoever would believe in Him, whoever, right? Whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. So it said, God so loved the world. He said, whoever so the gospel is going to the whole world. And that was news to them. You know, in uh, Jesus kind of, he confronted that too with the Jewish leadership. In Luke 15 too, it said, both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. That was a big deal for the Pharisees, the religious leaders, when Jesus would like, eat a meal. With the uncircumcised, with the sinners, right? And so that was a monumental shift in the history of the church so early on. But then look at what it says at the end, because he recounts the whole story, focusing on the fact that there is now no clean or unclean, because that's the message he had to bring to the leaders. But look at what he says at the end, and this is where I just want to focus the last part of our time together. In verses um, 17 and 18. Look at what verse 17 says first. If then, this is the end of the story he's telling. If then God gave the same gift to them, which meant the Holy Spirit, as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Just think about that. I think that's a great phrase for us to memorize And to know and to say over and over again, who am I to stand in God's way? Just think about the ramifications of that. Who am I? Who are we to stand in God's way? Like I said, God is on the move. And as His church, as His followers, we need to be on the move as well. Because God was moving and He's bringing the gospel to the Gentiles now. And Peter is saying, how am I going to stand in His way? He gave them the Holy Spirit like He did us. So, therefore... All signs point to the fact that we're all equal now. Can you imagine them hearing that? That it goes, the the Gospel does, to the Gentiles as well. So he says, who was I that could stand in God's way? So think about that. Think about that for a second. What does that look like? Because then in verse 18, it says they felt silent. They fell silent and they were like, alright. Then to the Gentiles we go with the good news of Jesus Christ. But he says, who am I that I would stand in God's way? That certainly requires from us a sense of surrender to the Holy Spirit, right? Understanding that His ways are best. That even if we defy what we believe is best and right, God is still on the move. Things like our pride... And things even like prejudice we allow 
to get in our way. The gospel is for all. Perhaps you can remember a time when God orchestrated a divine appointment like he did with Peter and Cornelius and maybe it was with somebody that you really didn't want to share the gospel with. I mean, it sounds heretical we would say that, but we're human. It happens, right? That maybe there's somebody that you just don't feel comfortable sharing it with or perhaps we even think not worthy or never going to happen. And so we shy away from it. I think this passage can remind us and be a real challenge for us and a sobering reminder that the gospel is for all. That God so loved the world that whosoever believed in Him. You know, um, there's a great movie that we used to watch as a family called Fiddle on the Roof. You guys ever seen that? Great movie. And there's this opening scene, right? It's a musical. It's an opening scene uh, and he sings a great song. Remember what it's called? Tradition, right? It's about tradition. And he's going through this whole story because you see the kind of the town unfolding and he's starting to tell the story like Tevia does, right? That's the, the character's name. And, and um, he's in his town in, in Russia where the, the Russian Jews are living and he's saying, you know what? You know how we keep ourselves balanced and together? It's through these traditions and we don't mess with the traditions. And there's this, this whole illustration of a fiddler on the roof. I mean, if you're fiddling on the roof, you're kind of unbalanced and he's saying like through this whole song, why do we have a Filler on the roof, well, without the traditions, we can fall off very easily. So he's going through the traditions of the mama and the papa and the children, right? And what his traditions are. Listen to what he says in that opening sequence. A fiddler on the roof? That sounds crazy, no? But in our little village of Anatevka, you might say everyone is a fiddler on the roof. Trying to scratch out a pleasant, simple tune without breaking his neck. It isn't easy. You may ask, why do we stay up there if it's so dangerous? We stay because Anatevka is our home. And how do we keep our balance? I can tell you that in one word. Tradition. Right? And then at the end he says this, because of our traditions, we've kept our balance for many, many years. Here we have traditions for everything. How to eat. How to sleep, even how to wear our clothes. For instance, we always keep our heads covered and always wear a little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition start? Well, I'll tell you. I do not know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, everyone knows who He is and what God expects Him to do. We have our own traditions, don't we? We have family traditions. We have traditions in the church. And there's nothing wrong with traditions. And traditions can help keep us balanced and stable and create for us somewhat of a foundation for the way that we gather and the things that we do. Did you ever think about that? I mean, we have traditions, don't we? I mean, we keep these chairs facing the stage and you all come in and take your same seat. I know where each one of you sits. I can see you. We have our traditions, right? So this way we know who's, who's absent, so I could call you and say, hey, where were, where were you? No. It's just... But we have our traditions, right? The things and why, because it kind of keeps us stable, keeps us balanced in a way. You know, you know, like you go away for a couple of weeks and you have a great time, but you kind of feel out of sorts when you come back. You're like, man, I'm out of my routine, you know? And 
But sometimes traditions can be dangerous. Traditions can keep us from moving forward. And that's kind of the whole story, sort of the the subplot in a movie like Fiddler on the Roof where things were changing. Politics were changing. The, The thought process of the young people was changing. Like, we need these traditions now? This is the way it's supposed to be? How many times you read a story, you see a movie, and it's all about the lady says, I want to marry for love. And they're like, we don't marry for love. You know, it's that whole thing, right? There's traditions. But sometimes in the church, we can allow traditions to be an obstacle for growth. So the challenge is, I think we need to be mindful of how we live out our faith, especially together as a church and Make sure there's nothing that we're doing or no traditions that we take very strongly that we are imposing on other people. Now you could probably all sit and make a list of traditions you can think of that maybe, you know, may or may not be something that you hold true to, but traditions that perhaps you find nowhere in Scripture. Usually a tradition is something that we kind of make up we make it up for our own good, and some, like I said, sometimes it is good. But it doesn't mean it comes from the Bible. So we have to always make sure first that we're going back to Scripture to make sure that we're not standing in God's way. And that we're not creating any kind of tradition that we feel so strongly about that we're going to hold over others in judgment. Remember, what does he say? Who am I to stand in God's way? You know, one of the things that has really happened in the last 50, 60 years in the churches is what's called the worship wars. Now, we don't want to rehash any kind of bad feelings or anything if you've been through that, but if you have no idea what that is, that's good. But it's also basically as music changed, right? And um, preferences of music changes started to come into the church different ways of doing worship it ruffled a lot of feathers to say the least how about the way that we just did worship this morning was that the way that you did worship in church 20 years ago maybe not you know there's some people that say oh we should only have the organ only the piano and the organ well you know there was a time when early christians especially in this country they outlawed and they banned the organ Ah, we can't have the organ in here the organ was for a circus or a festival or what you would hear in the bar and the drinking songs. You know some of the hymns we sing in that hymnal there? They were drinking songs from the bar and then they just kind of changed the words. Isn't that interesting? Right? And so, you don't have to flip through it now to look for it. I'll, I'll tell you about it later. But sometimes you sing a hymn and you can just picture people going like this with a stein of beer, right? <laughs> but we have, But these are like great hymns of the tradition. And that's why we still do at least one on a Sunday, because I'm all for that, and I don't think we should be throwing all that out, but we're adding on to it, and we're enjoying how things are are moving forward, because again, God is on the move, right? But isn't it funny to think that, that there was even a time where people are like, you can't play an organ in here? And now people are like, no, only the organ, not this instrument, you know. And there's lots of things we can think about that. No dancing in church. I remember one of the churches I, that we used to attend, it had a history of that, you know. Now you don't dance. Now it wasn't preached from the pulpit, 
But it wasn't until the pastor's daughter had her wedding reception in the gym and said, Dad, I want to have some dancing. <laughs> can imagine what kind of fear that created. But, you know, things had to change. So you kind of think through what are those things that maybe you personally or even as a church that we might be holding on to that could be an obstacle for growth and for moving forward. One of my favorite stories, I have a, a good friend in the ministry who's a pastor, and he went for a job interview. This was maybe three years ago. So only three years ago. And he went for a job interview, and uh, he didn't know what to expect. And so he went, and, and he sat down with the, you know, the search committee, and he was getting to learn a, bit, a little bit about the church. And, and so one of the, uh, the older guys in the church, and he kind of could tell this guy you know, might be a little bit of trouble, just kind of where he was coming from. And so he turned to me and said, what version of the Bible do you read and do you preach from? So, I mean, that's a, that's a loaded question, right? So if you answer it wrong, you don't have, you don't have that guy's vote. And so he, he told the guy, uh, NIV. You know, the NIV is what I prefer. There's other versions I like. And, and the guy said, well, son, according to me, is basically what he's saying, it's the KJV only, the King James Version only. And you know what he said after that? He said, if it was good for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for me. Do you know what the problem with that is? Do you know when the KJV came out, 1611? When did the Apostle Paul live? Within the first, right? The first hundred years? Yeah. But doesn't that just kind of, you know, show? It's just like, man, he was so bent on. And that's all right. If that's your favorite version and you want to use that, that's great. But it can get to the point where it becomes such a tradition, you don't even think about what you're doing and you're like, man, this is the one the Apostle Paul used. You know what? It's like, you can't make that up, but it happens. So the whole point is, let's, let's take a passage like this and reflect on it. And when Peter at the end says, I know, it's unbelievable, but God is doing a new thing. And now we need to go bring the gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles, the uncircumcised. Yeah, I ate with them. We're going to be doing more of that. And then he says, he gave him the Holy Spirit just like us, so who am I to stand in God's way? So who are we as individuals, but also as a church, to stand in God's way in what he is choosing to do? And I'm going to end with this, and I I often say that, but I'm really going to try. You're going to see up on the screen, this is from Proverbs 3. Now, this is a very, very popular passage of Scripture. You could keep it right there for a second. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Many of you have memorized it. It's your life verse. It's a very popular verse. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says what? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Or some version of that. If, you have the, if you're a King James only guy, that's a little different. Okay. But it's similar. But you know what's interesting is that, and this happens a lot with like popular verses, is that we kind of forget the verses that come before it and right after it. So here's what I want to show you. This is Proverbs 3, but it's verses 1 to 8, okay? Verses 1 to 8. So the, the 5 and 6 are in there, but look at what it says before and then especially the two verses after. He says, my son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments. 
For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. He didn't say the law. He said steadfast love and faithfulness. And then verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make your path straight. Look at 7 and 8. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then here's the promise. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Keep that verse up there. Isn't that awesome? Don't you want some of that? It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. We need that healing for our flesh. Refreshment for our weary bones. But what is it that brings that? He says, trust. The writer of Proverbs is saying, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't think that your own specific ways, your own opinions, your own preferences, your own traditions should be for everybody. He says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't lean on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord with all of your heart. You know why? Because if you do, if you surrender that, surrender everything, especially those obstacles that are getting in your way of growing in the Lord, it's going to be healing for your flesh and refreshment for your bones. What happens to our bodies when we're stressed, when we're anxious, when we're wearisome, right? Don't we kind of, we tense up? Sometimes we get like an ache in our bone. We don't even know where it came from. Our bodies can manifest that when there's a lot going on in our heart and our mind, when we're holding on to things, when we're not experiencing the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And even what it says here in Proverbs, if we were to just trust in the Lord with all our heart, don't be wise in your own eyes or lean on your own understanding. You know why? Because it's going to be healing to your flesh, refreshment to your bones. See, when Peter came and he told the story about what happened, and when he told the Jewish, the, the leaders, the, the Messianic Jews, and he said, this is what we got to do, and they were of the circumcision group, the ones who said, you have to become a Jew first, be circumcised. And he said, that's not it at all. You know why? Because God is now saying there is no clean and unclean. He says, don't call anything uncommon. Because the gospel is on the move and it's going to everybody, everybody you meet, whether you think they're worthy or not, whether they look like somebody that could even understand it. God says, we're bringing them the gospel, the good news. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's for everyone. But what is our challenge, but also the the encouragement for us as the church today is just trust in the Lord with that. Trust in the Lord as He moves you forward in your walk with Him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't try to lean on your own understanding. Don't be wise in your own, in your own eyes. Acknowledge 
that he's in charge, that he's sovereign. And then you know what the blessing is? You're going to have healing for your flesh and refreshment to your bones. That sounds good, right? Let's pray for that now. Father, we thank you for those beautiful words. God, we do want that. We need that, Father God. We need that healing for our flesh. God, would you bring healing to us? So many of our prayer requests, God, are for ourselves or those people that we love that need physical healing, that need healing from ailments and maladies. God, we know we live in these broken bodies, but you do promise if we come before you and just let you know what's on our heart, that if we trust in you, that ultimately in the end, in your timing, it will be healing for our flesh. And Father, even as we grow older, we can grow weary of doing good. We can grow weary of sharing the good news. We can grow weary of the the day in and the day out. But Lord, You tell us, if we just trust You, cast all our cares upon You, and not try to do it on our own, and lean on our own understanding, God, what a promise that there will be refreshment to our bones. God, we thank You. Thank You, God, that You that you say that You can make us new. That You can bring refreshment. And God, for those that are here that are still seeking, would You let them know today without a shadow of a doubt that all they need to do is believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus in His death and resurrection. His payment for their sins. And that the offer, the free gift, is salvation and life eternal. God, would you do that in many hearts this morning? And Father, for those of us who have made that profession of faith, believers in you, who are seeking to live that life, becoming your disciples and learning more and more each and every day, God, we want to, again, surrender ourselves to you anew. God, that you would bring refreshment to our bones, healing to our flesh, that you would bring a a refreshing, a renewing of our minds as we read your word and just meditate on the, the great truth that it is. So Lord, thank you that you do not leave us or forsake us, but you do give us your Holy Spirit. And Lord, how that impressed Peter so much that you gave your spirit to Cornelius and his household, that there was no doubt in his mind that the gospel was now for everyone. We thank you for that, and that you are a God of this world, a God for everyone, and that we can cast our cares upon you and put our trust in you. We look forward to what you want to do in and through us individually, but also as a church. And so we surrender ourselves to you now. God, show us the way. Lead us, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.